Welcome to American Soccer Analysis. I'm Harrison Crow, my partner in crime, Ian Lamberson of Total MLS. Fame is here. The gifts, all the gifts are his. Uh, Ian, we got a special guest today. A, sp- a wonderful guest. A topical guest. One of uh, literally my favorite people that also I've never met. Uh, but I think we've been friends for almost four years. Is that right, Jason? I think so. I think in the spring we'll hit the four-year mark. Yeah, so, Mr. Poon, it's been a while. Have we ever had you on the podcast before? You had me on here once when you were running this with uh, Sean, uh, Stefan. Uh, we, we don't, we don't oh. talk about that. This is I don't the think new I'm... rebooted version. Oh, yeah. we're not going to rehash that? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's grittier. It's more realistic. I, I, um, I don't know if we're allowed to say, like, what we're going <laughs> to, we'll, we'll blank out his name, I think. I think now that, now that he works for... Uh, we can't say his name, so we can't say uh, anything. We'll just delete that whole part. Yeah, <laughs> great to have you on. We're going to talk a little bit about FC Dallas, a little bit of tactics because you do a lot of uh, the tactics piece for uh, Big D um, mm-hmm. and some of the write-ups and stuff. Always really enjoyable. But uh, Dallas is kind of uh, well, like I guess it was Matt Doyle that says said something to the effect of if you have a panic button, you have permission to mash it, and I think. You know, kind of going into this week, I was kind of like, well, we should probably reevaluate that. And uh, but before we go full in there, um, we have a little bit of beef. (laughs) We have a little bit of beef. Um, So beginning of this year, you were supposed to join us in Nerd League. Yes. And and you backed out on us because something, something, family, something, something, real life responsibilities, you know, like we haven't been there. Um, And. (laughs) <laughs> it's really the first segment you're gonna browbeat Jason. Yeah, yeah. No, so for this, I just okay. I just want to take a moment. All right, and say it's been better without you. So, oh, <laughs> I'm sure it has. Actually, you know, wow. I haven't been that guy who's been selling all my best players for you know pennies oh, to oh, the dollar. Oh, or, or oh, oh we've got that guy now. We've got that guy. All right, so I, ha- I do have to share what happened today because today something amazing happened. And uh, I-, I know no one probably cares about our stupid fantasy league, but the way that it works, we don't. Uh, we kind of realize that there's a loophole in the sense that no one has incentive to keep the- any of their money for next year because there's no rollover amount or you know <clears throat> money that next year you get apply towards your budget so it kind of becomes dead money at a certain point in the season such as this after all these wonderful uh you know new signings happen and everybody's spent their money or lost (laughs) opportunities trying to send it uh so we had one person that made a big deal about trying to get a keeper because they lost their keeper and andrew tarball is kind of the last starting keeper available and so he made a big deal uh and in doing so, everyone realized he needed a keeper. So, two people specifically, and I won't name names, spent all their money, basically, 
the mo- most amount of money ever spent in our league on Andrew Tarball. He went for $75 today uh, in an auction. <laughs> this is a league where Sebastian Javinko is like 50-something. So this was a big signing. <laughs> Andrew Tar, yeah, Javinko is the highest paid player at fifty something dollars. No longer, no longer Andrew Tarbol. <laughs> wow, that's some record breaking stuff you guys got going on there. <laughs> Madness. Yeah, I'm glad I bowed out then. Jeez. All right, so the way that I I did this the script was I kind of want to cover uh, the past year, the present, and then we're gonna look towards the future, the next few months. But before we get there, let's focus on the past. Dallas had a total of 60 points last year. Uh, really, really strong closing of the season, despite the fact that they lost out to the Sounders, um, which was kind of dumbfounding because, at least in my in my personal feeling, because going to the game, like I just assumed this was a really great season. I was happy to make the playoffs. And then, like, 3-1, the Sounders somehow figure out a way to, to destroy Dallas at home. And that kind of submarined you guys. It did. Uh, it's it's still a very you know difficult topic to talk about. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> but congratulations to your Sounders, though. Yeah, it was uh, it was confusing and a little frustrating. But there was also the sense that belief in that you know, Oscar Pereja is really was really trying to do something and figure out something because when uh, Mauro Diaz went out at, at, at the end of this uh, regular season. We were just not prepared for that kind of, for him to be out like that in the playoffs, and some of the some of the tactics were not. And then, compound that, you know, we lost five in Castillo unexpectedly. So, when we don't have Diaz, the ship with the four four two was was working phenomenally with Castillo on one side, Michael Barrios on the other on the other wing. Um, that worked out fine, but lose Castillo, lose Diaz. Like, okay, we were not prepared for this. Pareja made a uh, made a gamble. Uh, it did not work, but appreciated that he at least made uh, some kind of effort to like, hey, we need to try something. And unfortunately, it did not work in our favor. No, it, it didn't. And you know, okay, so you know, you scrap that, and that that happens in the playoffs. It happens every year. Uh, Montreal did it to Toronto one year. Uh, NYCFC uh, perpetually seems to get uh, hosed by Toronto as well. Um, it, it, we've seen one-offs of these situations, but so fast forward through to the off season, and the off season kind of was strange in the sense that you had these very interesting and, and exciting. Uh, exciting's, but they also kind of backfired at the same time, even before you got out of the off season. So uh, Anibal Chala, uh, everybody's kind of confused. Was he a winger? Was he a fullback? There seemed to be a lot of uh, information that was floating around, and no one knows what is truth out <laughs> of that information that was floating around. And he doesn't end up even playing any minutes. Nope. We've been loaned out. Yeah, he was a left back, and from what we've heard uh, was that he was de- de- designed to be a, a winger. That he was going to be pushed up uh, further upfield, but he got injured, and then he was loaned out, and it looks like, yeah, his career's with Dallas is already done before he even started. Mm. Jose Salvarita, uh, he, he didn't even... I mean, his loan guy, he didn't, he, he didn't even pass his fitness, correct? That's correct. So his paperwork was done. He showed up. We're like, yeah, you're not going to – I'm not even sure what they do at these physicals and what they're actually looking for. 
because you know he's still playing, but like so. But apparently, it didn't meet the the Dallas standards, I suppose. So that was scrapped um, very unexpectedly too. Yeah, but and I don't think that it ever. It, there's not a standard. There's not like a league standard. I, well, there is a league standard, but there's also a team standard, right? Yeah. That's, so, what it, that's what it seems like. Maybe Ian, you know more than I do on this, but I'm not entirely sure what they're looking for in this. Oh yeah, I mean, I assume they're just kind of. It's a checkup, basically, for. I mean, you look at injuries, kind of do like an intake, and kind of see what what your past is, and they kind of analyze those old injury spots. And uh, there's like a fitness test, and just it's really basic stuff. It's like getting a physical, just to make sure you aren't, you know, somehow completely defective. And it's basically, I mean, it's almost always a formality, like even worldwide. Like it's an extremely rare case where you hear someone that didn't pass their medical. So, um. Obviously, the nature of it being a medical and HIPAA and things like that, you know, we're never going to probably know the full story of what went what, what on at that particular medical. But, um, yeah, suffice to say, they just saw something they did not like and they did not want to invest in. So, and I'm going to skip over a couple of these because I want to come back to them. Uh, Carlos Sermano? Uh, I don't know. Sermano? Sermano? Uh, he's got a few minutes in. What's really good been the story with him? Yeah, he seemed more like a long-term project. Um, he was brought in. He was always going to be the fourth guy uh, in that midfield with Carlos Grezzo, Kellen Acosta, and Victor Yoa holding it down. But there was always, wait, we need, a, we need another body. Um, but he just in, you know sitting in front of three guys, I mean, sitting behind three guys who are just, you know, have been starters in this league, consistent starters, and have you know pushed into their you know, respective national teams too. So it's kind of you know he's was never brought in to. There's no no expectation of him to play a sitting amount of minutes. The hope was that he hey this is a body we can put play um, in the uh, Open Cup um, just to give our guys a, a rest and some rotation time. So so far he seems to be performing pretty well. I mean yeah it's been very limited minutes, but in the in those times he seems to have. Um, some promise. Plus, he's a left footer. I have this uh, really big bias towards left-footed midfielders. Like they just really fascinate me. Like, oh, you can is make that, that pass because you're just left-footed. Is that is that like a like a loogie out of the bullpen? <laughs> I don't know baseball, so oh, I'm okay. gonna go. Guess. Nobody understands that reference. I don't, there, man. So. All right, yeah, a, a, a loogie is like a, a left-hander that only pitches to, to like left-handed uh, batters. He's like really good at facing left-handed hitters, but he, like he's pretty much useless for everything ever. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to pick your brain on Javier Morales and find out what Oof. what like this has been one of the more dumbfounding things because coming out he burned bridges, leaving RSL, and yes. then shows up in Dallas with a lot of praise and I think everybody was like okay we found our solution for a while uh, we're waiting for uh, Mauro to get healthy yes I even wrote up a piece about it but that's not in the case <laughs> no I praise this move going this is genius like I cannot believe we've got this I mean he's an RSL legend uh, but you know a club legend has played in the league for you know, over 10 years 10 years plus so has a lot of experience and that's kind of what doubts needed someone to be a stopgap um and because diaz was going to be gone we suspected until uh july at the earliest and not really sure okay 
he's going to be healthy to play in July, but is he going to be at full fitness? Is he going to be still be you know, sharp at that point? Like, who knows? This could be a full year. But Jaime Ross was supposed to be a stopgap. But, yeah, I was completely wrong on him. He has not been uh, a good fit for this team for some reason. I am not sure what um, what it is. Um, maybe the Maybe it's the heat, the speed. I'm not sure. Like it's just he's just completely off. I get the sense that there's a sort of like with RSL, you know, he was like that system guy, and he was like that fulcrum of that midfield. And Dallas just doesn't play with the ball in midfield very much. Mm-hmm. Like they tend to get the ball forward faster. Like if you look at their midfield passing numbers, they're just smaller sample sizes. Like they're just passed less. And I think for someone that was so kind of you know, mainly known for his passing ability and his tempo control and just, like, his methodical way of pacing a game. Like, it just didn't really work out in the end would be my theory on that. Yeah, and the other side of it that I was kind of going to talk about was it seems like he moves wide a lot more frequently than at least in the games that uh, the limited time that I watched and and actually just but listening to some of the other podcasts from a Dallas perspective, they kind of mentioned him overlapping with Lamar quite frequently trying to both you know occupy that same space which caused a lot of uh frustration um i don't know if you can speak to that at all but that just kind of was something that i observed and heard another person kind of make that same observation so i kind of was wondering if maybe it's just he doesn't fit because of how he moves gravitationally (laughs) that could certainly be it i mean glad you brought lamar because lamar has been a bit of an enigma this season, too, and and his movement, because um, like I, I know we'll talk about uh, in a bit, but like you know last night's uh, game against Houston, so Lamar was lined up centrally. They, they played a four-one-four-one, and he was more in the middle, which was like this is this is new. But there has been a tendency, you know, looking at his chalkboards and looking at his heat maps, like yeah, he t- tends to drift more centrally at times. Um, so from the wing spot and you know Mora. Uh, Morales has that tendency yet yeah, to drift as well, and as and he should have the license and the freedom to drift into whatever spaces he sees that open. But they seem to be seeing the, they may just be seeing the same thing, and they're both just going to the same spot, which is problematic. Whereas you know in the past, Castillo, Barrios, they they hug that they hug that line, they stay there until you know they see green pastures. Sure, yeah. Well, and the other thing is, and this is speaking to uh, exactly what. Ian kind of brought up was he Javier Morales has only touched the ball 7% of the time in his uh, 300 plus minutes, which is shockingly low. Uh, you know, he's chronically been one of the highest touch percentage guys in the league over the last few years with RSL. And so that's a little surprising. So I, I give props to Ian for that observation. That's uh, pretty on the spot. Well, and I just pulled up the numbers to, to look and yeah, I mean, just looking at, you know, and, and back in RSL, like, you know, he was averaging 61 one year, 62 passes, 61 the next year, 58 the year after that. And then just in the brief time we had at Dallas, it was, you know, around 33. So that definitely is a huge drop off in influence for a player like that. So with that, going and moving and rolling into uh, Roland Lamar, he had a start of the season and it was almost frustrating because at least he had that early goal, but really there was no productivity. There was nothing underlying for after that goal like he had that one really bright shiny moment and then nothing yeah he one of the problems is that he 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 
he's brought in in, in, in the same position as Fabian Castillo. He's playing left wing. And re- regardless of Lamas' style, he was always going to be shut, uh, sharing the same spotlight and drawing the same comparisons. Like, why aren't you taking this guy on? Why aren't you, you know, breaking these guys down? Why aren't you stretching the defense? Like, no one... No one's that fast. No one's as fast as Castillo. Right. Maybe except watching the Kikuta Mane in this league. Like no one's going to be that guy. And it's sort of figuring out, okay, how does this work? And yeah, I was analyzing some of his earlier work and uh, the seasons. Like okay, he's actually getting in great spots, and he's putting. He was actually putting a lot of his shots on target. Uh, I haven't looked at his expected goals, but I expected them to be. You know, I was like, I, I think like he's just being um, getting a little unlucky here. And just because, like, okay, those those are really good shots. I mean, some of them were placed really well. The keeper just got to it, or it took a, you know, a deflection, or you know, hit hit the post, or something like that. But it just seemed like he was just being really unlucky at the beginning. But now we're seeing him kind of, you know, exploding a little bit. But he's also kind of uh, streaky. You know, he had that hat trick against RSL in the first like twenty minutes. I think it was the fastest uh hat trick in fc dallas history and we're going hey you can't score and suddenly you put it on three <laughs> and now you're in the team's record books we're like okay and then then you had a brace um again so he seems to be kind of you know, off you know feast or famine kind of guy at least in the goal scoring department and that might be i mean that's I mean, they always say goal goalkeeper or goal scorers are streaky and i i that bothers me to uh, some other uh, extent that's not necessarily <laughs> topic worthy. But for him, it's all about the matchup, right? It's who he's going to be going up and, and how FC Dallas is going to utilize him and how uh, Perea is going to use his ability out wide. Because I don't think that the with Dallas, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like any one person is the star of this team, but rather it's about the greater whole and it's about – isolating the opportunities and exploiting them. No, I think you captured the kind of the essence of what Oscar Prey teaches and the way he coaches. It's about the team. There is no one side. We all, collectively, we all attack, we all defend, we all transition. So when there is no star, it kind of, yeah, the fact that you can, you see it, yeah, that, I mean, that's what he teaches his uh, coaches his teams, so his players. So it's yeah, it's pretty accurate. So one person that really stands out for me because I really did not anticipate them having any sort of season, mostly because my man uh, Ryan Hollins had you know had that incident early on in the season. Uh, but mm-hmm. Hernan Grana just absolutely has stepped up and been a savior at the fullback from my perspective. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I know the all-star thing is kind of, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit of a running joke uh, in some capacities, in some circles. But overall, he's been, he's been <laughs> huge. <laughs> yeah, he's been a very welcome addition. I mean, so when uh, Jose Salvatierra, Salvatierra, when his uh, loan did not pan out, we were like, okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, in our circles, we're thinking, okay, you know, our homegrown Reggie Cannon, he's going to get the start. There's nobody else there. And then, you know, they go, a few days later, we, we find out, no, uh, Claudio made a few phone calls and got Hernan Grana uh, to, to come on. And he's like, he's yeah, he's been fabulous. He's been a good team player. Uh, my one critique with him has been just like he, his crosses have been so wasteful in uh, the final third. Uh, it's I could not understand because I was watching. It's like, why does he keep hitting for the back post? 
when he, his his targets are Maxi Rudy and sometimes Christian Coleman. Because he's used to right, he's used two. to aiming for Kai Kamara. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, because you know, Rudy and Coleman they 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 make the the new uh, post runs, but he keeps floating them over everyone, going, okay, you've just wasted an entire attacking sequence. Thank you for bombing forward and you know overlapping on, on the right, but now you're completely out of position. And you just hit the ball over everyone for the opposing right back to collect, and he's just turned the, turned the ball, and everyone's out of position. So I actually wrote up a piece about that. I was like, dude, somebody teach this guy how to just drive a low cross. And he actually he did that. He did that against Houston. He started actually driving it, and I was like, I don't know if you read my stuff or maybe Pereira read my stuff or I don't know. Or probably, I know. Was, yeah. Yeah, probably that. When it. When in doubt, just take credit. That's right. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. they read all my stuff and go, "Oh yeah, hit the ball low and hard to to these two strikers, and good things happen." I was like, "Yes, make the defense <laughs> do something, not just float the ball over." Um, yeah, it's it's known as the poon method in uh in, in Dallas practice. So just <laughs> that in there. So the last piece, and we'll wrap up the preseason here. Um, Christian Coleman. Uh, I'm saving him for last and purposefully because um, entering into the season, um, I really didn't believe. I, I felt two things. Number one, I felt uh, Dallas had missed an opportunity to be basically to pull what Orlando did in the middle of the season. And rather than um, go out and spend money, go and throw bucket loads of TAM to teams that basically don't want to use don't want to use their own money and want to use the league's resources to try to gather up a striker that was worth either that would have been a great addition with Maxi Rudy or even better. And specifically I threw out Chris Wondolowski. Like I thought throw out a million dollars worth of Tam Gam, just go at him. See, now, and you know what? And that's, and that's the thing is, you know, people on Twitter was like, ah, that's stupid. No one does that. You know, now fast forward and you see two people, three teams that have kind of done it. I yep. I, I would have loved to see Dallas do that because I feel like they could have been, uh, they could have had a more complete striker that knew the league. The other side of that coin, though, and I, Eric, laugh, um, is that I don't feel like Coleman's necessarily had the opportunity to shine, and I'm not ready to call him a bust. Yeah, I'm not either. He's young, uh, he's, you know, he's in his early 20s, and strikers typically, not all, but you know, strikers typically don't come into their own until their late 20s. Like This guy's got six, eight, you know, 10 years before he comes into his own, so he's still young. Um, he's moved to a new country, which some people can adapt really well t- to a new environment, some can't. Um, I don't when I... Uh, after after college, I, I lived overseas for a little bit, and I was like, "This is terrible. Like, I can't do this. I can't imagine being, you know, uh, being being that young." And I was, I was actually roughly around the same age as, as Cole Mann when, we, when I when I did that transition. So it was it was difficult. And then on top of it, hey, I got to perform and play some soccer. Um, yeah, I still don't. Yeah, I still wouldn't say he's a bust yet either, because um, I'll even reference you know Kubo Torres who was a disaster uh, when Houston picked him up. I think he scored no goals a whole, a whole year. And, I'm going, and then what happened was a new environment, new coaching, and now he's back to, back to his old self. And I think this just requires, some, sometimes just requires a little bit more time. I still see them, I mean, he's making the right runs, he's making the right reads, 
he's putting a lot of his, his attempts are you know are being blocked or being you know put on target to hit the post like he's getting good shots i mean he's not just shanking them and missing or you know making the wrong run he's actively making the right decisions they're just not falling for him so i'm not i still i say two years and you give him two years before actually calling him a bust or not well and, and he has less than a thousand minutes right now he has, and I definitely agree with you. I feel like in some ways he's getting unlucky because guys are getting their foot in on shots that uh, are headed into the, the net. Uh, keepers are making really great saves on a few of his shots. And, you know, sometimes that happens. You just, you know, all you can do is, you know, just applaud the goalkeeper, turn around, and keep going, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that there's more there. The flip side of it is that a Rudy has, and we'll get to him in a second. Rudy's been really good, which I think kind of leaves you with a little bit more impatience for him, right? Like you have less time to really give him um, that <laughs> that leeway to say, "All right, you have this long to get yourself together." Nope, he's Rudy's kicking ass, so we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna throw him out there right now because we're going to play whoever has the hot end because this is about the team, not about any one individual. And yeah, we want to maintain our assets and uh, Coman's a huge asset for Dallas going forward. And I can't see anyone making an argument otherwise. That being said, uh, you're going to go with who's hot. And I think that that's just kind of ultimately what's happened. And that's my look on it. That was my 10 cents. He sort of came in. I remember that he was like a very... um... Like that first match in the CCL, he scored a great goal. And I think that that sort of was bad for him in a way because it mm. set expectations to a certain level. We were like, look at this guy we got. And then, uh, you know, he kind of became... He had some moments that would be hard for a lot of players to recover from. Yes. <laughs> uh, some, some gaffes. Uh, you know, of all the thousands of gifts I've made for total MLS, the one that has really caught the world's attention and got sent, you know, just went super viral uh, was him against San Jose kicking the post oh, and falling over. That poor guy. And that... <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, to, to be able to show up and keep putting your head down and keep putting the work in uh, after stuff like that, it, it, it shows a good... Uh, a nice and tangible in a player that I like to see. So I, I also do think that there's there's more to come from this guy. And plus the Dallas broke the bank to to bring him. Like mm-hmm. so I mean the narrative against FC Dallas is where the owners is at the cheap. And so here we go. We I think we spent two and a half million dollars to sign him, which is our Dallas's record amount we've ever paid to sign a player. So yeah, there's a lot of expectations. Like, okay, the hunt finally paid for a player. They finally, you know, opened their checkbook. Finally, we're going to get that that guy is going to take us over um, over the hump. And oh, he's not quite, you know, performing up to that level, which is, I don't know, to a degree, it's disappointing. But just, just, I mean, that level of expectation. You're the most expensive player um, on this team in this team's history. So it's a, little, a lot, a lot is stacked against him. What would you grade this off season? What like going out coming out of this off season? What did you kind of give it at, and how has that changed? Oh, yeah, I I gave it a a B um, when I heard all of it. You know, Morales was really the one that's driving it up, and I, the left the rest were all just I just didn't know. Like I never heard of some of these players before, and you know, just the just the, uh, just the transition into 
MLS into into a new league, a new team, a new environment can be more difficult for some players than others. Now, of course, Oscar Perea has had a, a really great history of bringing in you know, young South American talent and grooming them. So I was like, well, but also it, it took time. Like Michael Barrios took him six months, uh, like half the season before he started kicking it into 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 Michael Barrios that we see now. So it was a long progress, but a lot of patience. So it's kind of, well, need to wait and see because we've also had you know david Teixeira who was yeah he was fine but ultimately a, a big disappointment um so i said i said it'd be at the time right now i'd say a c um just because you know a couple of players don't even aren't even on the team right now um but coleman's the one who's kind of holding it together it's like well if he can figure it out and be that goal scorer that uh that um, the team in the front office has expected he, this this could be an A, but if he doesn't, then it'll be you know an F. What do you feel the per, the front office missed out on the most this off season? Uh, this this one hurts to say, but not re-signing uh, Mauro Rosales. He was the perfect um, balance uh, to Mauro Diaz, just. Okay, Diaz, he's got 60 minutes. Okay, he's gassed, and he's he's fragile, so we need to get him off the field immediately. And okay, let's let's bring in this veteran. And he was just it wasn't a like for like Diaz, but had the same vision and passing skill set. And uh, all of last season, he was all, he was constantly the first one off the bench, like when we were trying to close out games or just need a change. Uh, Rosales was the first one always or almost always in every game um, he would be the one that was trusted we don't have that right now and I think that lack of veteran leadership I think that was a missed opportunity I mean granted he, he is you know older so there is there's some, you know, a lot of wear and tear in his legs too but uh, yeah, he's um, especially just when you, when you compare it to how Javier Morales has performed it's like man losing out on Rosales has been a big miss I, I love Mauro Rosales. And last question, this one's going to be a little bit rough. Um, is the 51 points that you guys are on a pace for a disappointment in that it's not winning a shield? Or is it a disappointment because it's not more than what it is last year? I think to a degree, uh, it's more disappointing because it's not uh, more points than last year. But I think there's a human tendency of, okay, we, we were we were... You know, we got 60 points last year. We're now a year older. Our homegrowns have, have got another year experience. They're getting better. So we, therefore, we should be better. And to be better, we must produce more points. So there is a, I think, in, on that, on my like, kind of like human side and my stupid side, I think, oh, it's kind of disappointing. However, the more practical side was when I looked at the season and went, hmm, we don't have more ideas. I don't know anything about Lamar Coleman and how they'll fit into this team. Uh, you know what? I, I actually expected that a lot more homegrown players would play this year, uh, given, given the way the team was uh, structured. So I expect, okay, if more homegrowns are playing, we're going to be up for a really bumpy road, um, especially just given, and, and no DS too. So I, I, I don't think 51 points is a disappointment. I think that's actually a really good season um, in the context of MLS. So... Uh, but there's also the inner part of me just going, ah, 
I wish it was more, but it's, I always want more. Okay, well, uh, so follow-up to that then, is it disappointing that it's 51 points and you're not playing more more of your homegrown that haven't seen as many minutes as you probably expected? Yeah, that has been disappointing. I really, uh, at the beginning of the season, I really expected Reggie Cannon to be starting uh, at the right-back position. I expected more from Paxton Pomacall. Uh, so it was, uh, especially it's like, okay, well, now that, you know, we, we can see that the... Javier Morales' experiment isn't working. Like, well, he's Paxton is our next number ten in line, or at least the one who has the best skill set to play in the position. So, so let's get him out there. But it ha- hasn't happened yet. Um, so, I, and but Pereja has always been very uh, patient with his with his homegrowns, and I, that's also they're all extremely young. I mean, geez, I think Paxton's like seventeen. He still lives with his parents. Like he's he's <laughs> yeah. still a kid. Um, and then I'm expecting him to kind of have like that 50 year of, okay, it's your turn. You jump in and you're going to grab the starting uh, position and you're going to keep it and you're going to be the team's Iron Man. But like, yeah, you was older, you know, he was 23 at that time. So it's like, okay, there's, there's a lot of difference between, you know, bringing someone in and, you know, you was in the system for a while. So it was Kellen Acosta. Like they were in the system you know, on, on the team playing, uh, you know, practicing with the first team for a lot longer than uh, these other kids. So, it is disappointing, but I also understand the, the logic and the reason behind it. So moving on to segment two, and we'll, we'll kind of try to hurry this up a little bit more so we don't keep you all night long. But uh, the, pre- the present, a run of bad luck, the calls, and also the results. So you guys have had a terrible August, right? <laughs> Two points out of a possible 12. Um, four goal- oh. Is it four goals that have been reversed by VAR is what I, what I saw? Is that correct? I saw that, but I, I can't remember what that fourth one was. I think it just blocked out on my memory. I can recall three, but sure, three or four at least. And then you guys have had two different penalty kick controversies, uh, not to mention last night <laughs> with uh, the box, the the tackle by Dylan Remick. It, it just seems like one thing after yes. another. Um, you guys have had one goal against. You guys had the what three last night, but. I don't have the expected goals yet for that. So just looking at the first three games, you guys got one goal out of them, yes. and you guys expected four. Like, the expected goals out of it is four. Um, mm-hmm. The goals against you guys had, had given up three, um, closer to two on the expected goal front. So obviously you guys have been seeing a lot more goals scored um, than what your defense would probably expect. It's it's kind of been a tale of two seasons for you in general. Yeah, it's it's been, it's been pretty rough. Uh, definitely, this this has been a very dry month in terms of production on both ends. Uh, it's like the first eight games, this team had four clean sheets. You know, gave up uh, I think four goals in that four or five goals in that time span. Um, and of course, since those first eight games, have we've only had seen two clean sheets, and our goals against has ballooned to you know one point five. So I'm like, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a strange patch, and I'm like, well, are we regressing back to the mean now? Because I don't think our expected goals were actually that high in the you know the first half of the season, and we were scoring more, but I think we were we were lucky, and now our luck's kind of run out, and we're you know paying paying it back now. Well, it's funny that you say that, right? So I actually do have uh, the expected goals for the first 10 games here, and it was almost exactly 12. It was 11.96. 
is what I have, and you guys scored 14 goals in those first 10 games. So you guys really didn't overperform scoring-wise. Defensive-wise, uh, 10.6 goals against versus the only seven that you surrendered. So as you mentioned, yeah, that defense was absolutely stellar. The next 12 games after that, you had 19 expected goals. You had 19 goals. You had 12 expected goals against. You had 19 goals against. So obviously, you're letting in a lot more goals than what you would expect. Can you speak to some of that? Because like even Walker Zimmerman was benched recently. Isn't that right? Yeah, he uh, he got injured, and uh, I think it was a meniscus tear. I know he hyperextended his knee in a collision. And, yeah, he has not looked uh, the same. Uh, I know he's still working his, his way back to full fitness. So, yeah, he's yeah he's not in the starting lineup anymore. And I, I do wonder just because uh, I'm, I'm looking over the goals again. It's going, okay, the defense is just giving up some odd goals. Uh, from, uh, let's see, it was against Kansas City. Aaron Rana missed, missed, his, uh, missed the guy that's supposed to mark and it turned into a goal. I'm just going, okay, that's like one missed uh <laughs> One mismark and having to be the guy uh, where, you know, Sporting Kansas was aiming at off the corner. And so there's, it's like, you know, things like that just happen to start. See, things are seem to be aligning themselves uh, against Dallas um, at the moment. And then, yeah, that, that last goal by uh, Torres uh, last night to tie the game. It's like, it's just, it was like, oh, this is really just unlucky. I mean, Victor Yor gets gets his foot in to, to make the block. But it deflects it. It deflects it too high for uh, Jesse Gonzalez to you know punch it over the goal, and here comes Torres. I'm like, okay, this just it just is what it is. But um, there are some uh, pr- definite glaring problems because you know even Matt Hedges, who's you know defending uh, MLS Defender of the Year or the Rain Defender of the Year, he made you know a mistake uh, last night against Houston. We couldn't handle a pass and fumbled it and basically let three uh, Dynamo players walk right in on goal and resulted in that opening goal in that uh, match uh, last night. So there's just been no, st- it feels like there's been no stability uh, going on. And plus I also feel bad for some of the players like Atiba Harris has, was playing left back last night, which you know, he broke into the league as a f- striker. Then he got moved up to the wing. And then player brings him in. He's okay, you're going to be right back. I'm like, all right. And then, hey, uh, all, our, all our guys are out, so you're going to play center back. Like, okay, now I'm going to play you on left. I'm like, dude, this – I appreciate his versatility and his willingness to, to do this, but I was like, do we see some kind of bigger problems? Like, hey, you're converting this guy all over the place. He's not a natural defender. Now he's playing the left side, which is the most, the probably most difficult side to play uh, if you're not uh, left-footed and have no experience there. So, I mean, I think just some combination of the defenders are just not working out, uh, not very, uh, not very well, and you know they're second-guessing themselves and th- and thinking too much rather than just um, relying on their instincts because they're in a new uh, situation, new environment. Yeah, and that's sort of one of those things that you see in teams that it, it, there's this kind of snowball effect. Um, like what you said is exactly what I think it is just things that were instinctual and that were working together now you start having these second guess moments and that creates more mistakes and that creates more doubt and it's a very uh, nasty cycle for a team to get into and we've seen it happen to a number of teams before so uh, yeah it, it, it's it's not I don't look at that back line when it's at its its full strength and, and think anything but like that's that's a solid four there so there's just some more 
do you think it's just time at this point? Just just get get people recovery, get Zimmerman better again, get yeah, um, some time and just more. I, I, at this point, probably maybe some more uh, time together as a unit because uh, you keep mm-hmm. shifting. You know, is Figueroa playing center back or left back? Like you get your assignments just a little bit off. At this point, you sh- you should not be thinking. You just should be just be reacting. You know, okay, I'm going to step because I know uh, someone is going to cover me here. Oh, the ball's over there, so I know I need to. I need to. I can safely run over here. Um, so those little th- uh, the time it takes for you to figure out, hey, where are where's the rest of my team? Uh, where are they standing? Who's going? Who's going? Uh, who's staying? Those split seconds are kind of causing uh, the other teams are you know, capitalizing on on those uh, second guesses. And uncertainties. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to say, I'm actually a little bit surprised that you don't have, uh, at least over the, this past month with the transfer window opening, Dallas trying to take advantage of that and trying to bring in some depth, um, especially uh, with Hedges and uh, Walker Zimmerman being gone during the Gold Cup period. It seems like a little bit of depth would have been really useful uh, in a fourth center back. Yeah, like a true four center back. <laughs> I know because our first center back is Walker Hughes. He was a rookie, so that, that was a bit of concern. It's like, uh, what are we doing? And, but it seems like Perhel wanted to stick with Mena Figueroa as like, hey, he's going to be my four center back. Uh, who, by the way, is just fine. He's steady. He does the job. But I do wish, like, uh, you know, back when we had Stephen Keel, it's like, hey, he's a center back. He knows his league. He's not world class, but he can do the job in a pinch. You know, he can he can go six games and you know do do the job or come in late in the game and, and just clean things up uh, in a pinch. But yeah, not not to say that they didn't try. I know uh, Brian Clavijo works works the phones a lot and uh, puts feelers out there uh, quite frequently. But maybe just the right deal wasn't there, and perhaps nobody wanted to offer something to Dallas. No, totally fair. You know, yeah. Sometimes you just don't want to uh, help your enemy. I guess uh, is a way of saying it. Um, I have Dallas right now for using four formations for the season. Does that sound about right? I, I sent you uh, the four-two-three-one, the four-four-two, the four-three-three, four-one-four-one. What are they trying to do with these formations, and and really, what is the crux of uh, of what Oscar Preya is trying to do? Because at times they seem like a counterattacking team, and other times I'm just thoroughly flummoxed. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Uh, yeah, the four two three one definitely by design when you know this uh, Moro Diaz is in, uh, but when he's not there, it's like okay, the four four two. But then the four four two has not been that. Uh, has not, has not been very efficient, at least not in the, uh, compared to the previous seasons. And part of that is the loss of Castillo and still figuring out how to best use Roland Lamar, who may be better off used more centrally and then going, okay, but he's not you know, a center attacking midfielder and in, in a, uh, in a chance creator in that traditional sense. So I'm not sure either. Um, but yeah, so last, last I guess Houston, they rolled out a 4141. I'm like, what is this? Like when I saw the graphic, I was like, certainly this is a typo or a mistake because there's no way he was going to do such a crazy change for such a big match. But I was wrong. Well, it, it seems like they were trying to muddy up that, that midfield and just trying to make it so that it, it just became, I guess, harder to move the ball through centrally. But that doesn't seem like that would have been 
Houston's plan in the get-go. I mean, Houston's... If I had to make a guess and get into Oscar Preya's head, it's like, hey, what's going on? It's like, to be honest, he may just be completely just be experimenting at this point uh, and in a good way. Like, hey, the stated goal at the very beginning of the season was what the MLS Cup felt like that was. Um, That was a loss, a significant loss. It's something that that was within this club's reach last season, uh, realistically, and for the first time in, in quite a long time. And with the way the team... Uh, prepared the last couple of seasons, it you know always fell through at the end uh, in the playoffs. It's like okay, and then try and mirror some of you know what Portland did and what Seattle did. It's like okay, how do we prepare in the long run and not do what we did last season, where okay we don't have Diaz now what and did not have enough time to to figure it out. So he could be just experimenting. This is and figuring out hey this is what my team looks like when I have a four two three one. This is what my team does when I have a four four two, and figuring and at least having some uh, some ideas of what to do and come playoff time. And you're kind of stealing my thing. That, that's actually I was going to lead into the future. <laughs> so segment three and going towards the, uh, the playoffs, I kind of feel, and I have this theory that right at this point in time, there shouldn't be a panic button because, look, they're not going to get the shield. They're not. No one's going to take it away from Toronto FC unless Toronto FC willingly gives it to anyone. And at this stage, I don't think anyone's – there they have any mind to do that um and i don't think they could do that even if they wanted to at this stage honestly they just have too much talent um so the end goal is to prepare what the best they can for the playoffs which is resting diaz which they have been diaz has only what 300 or not even not even 200 minutes in the last month and change so uh, part of me actually completely agrees that this could just be some experimentation and trying to best prepare for the playoffs as they can. Yeah, yeah. That's at least that's the working theory and the only thing that seems to make sense to me. But Ian, I'd love to hear what you're thinking from kind of a neutral's perspective of what in the world's going on here. Uh, no, I mean, I actually agree with you guys. I, I think that there is a... There's not a lot to play for in the stand. Like, I don't see Dallas like, okay, they're temporarily, I, I don't know, I haven't looked at the table today, but they might temporarily be below that line. But no one's realistically expecting them to finish there. So there is some time to just kind of try some new things. And um, Frey is a bold coach, and I, I I like that, and I respect that, and I think his players respond to that as well. And, um you know, it doesn't always work, and, and that's kind of the nature of that kind of bold sort of style of management. But um, what else? The, yeah, I mean, like, you're just just get yourself set. Like, you know what you have to do. You have one goal now, and I think that he's just being really smart about, you know, making sure his team is as prepared as possible. And just looking at the playoff spread right now, uh, and this is the probabilities for the seeding for Dallas going forward. Uh, I didn't even look at uh, in the sixth place right now in my mind unless Portland decides – to give up or uh yeah I, I don't know that's gonna happen at their you know with their win uh against the red bulls they pretty much and i think they won last night so i mean uh, yes. they, they've pretty much taken away any possibility that san jose has of uh trying to backdoor into this into the playoff run so you have a firm six you really do in the western conference no one's really dead first no one's really dead last it's it's looking at the probabilities across uh for dallas 13 percent for first place 
15% for second place, 18% for third, 17 and 17 for fourth and fifth, and 14% for sixth. So, I mean, like, it's pretty, like, it's just, there's not a lot of weight in one spot or the other right now. And I think it's kind of a crapshoot. And I think at this point in time, it's just find some ideas that work, win some games that you can, um, and, and that's a plus. But ultimately, try to pull some, th- some things out of this that you can use going forward because I think once it comes to the playoff, we're going to see a Dallas team that is just rocking and rolling and we forgot, oh, they're really dangerous and they're really good. That's the hope. Um, first first got to win a game. <laughs> I bet it doesn't feel like that right now. But, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's really positive from Harrison. That's optimistic. I like it. <laughs> Harrison's a positive person. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good quality. So just looking at from a tactical perspective, who do you want in that first round? Not like, hey, uh, I think Dallas you know, is superior to every team in the West. I don't care. Give me a true. Who matches up best? Give me Houston. Uh, oh, yeah. Houston, well, for the for the rivalry, that would be really fun. Um, you know, Dynamo have not made the playoffs in the last few years, so uh, kind of losing some of that, uh, you know, the hatred for each other. So give Houston, you know, we've drawn them all three games uh, this year, but also that's the only place where I could actually see Dallas actually getting a, a result on the road. Like we're we're terrible at Seattle. Eh, we're we can be okay in Portland, but it's pretty hit or miss. And once it gets cold, you know, come playoff times, like eh, I don't think Dallas likes to go up there. We stink in Kansas City. I haven't gotten a win out of there since 2011. And the Whitecaps just yeah, we're just not good at there either. So just factoring in that elusive, uh, you know, that that road game that's really kind of killed us the last couple of years like where can we realistically go somewhere and actually just come out with a positive result with, with one with one goal or holding it to 1-1 one, one or 1-0 one uh, I think Houston Houston would match up really well so uh, who don't like alright so you threw a bunch of these PNW and cold weather teams all in one with SKC and Seattle, Portland, Vancouver who don't you want to see who is the least uh, desirable outcome Purely because I've just seen you guys so much the last few years, I kind of don't want to see Seattle at the moment. Like, <laughs> I, I need a break from Dempsey. Like, I'm, I'm good. That's that's becoming an annual. That's becoming an annual playoff series. It has. Yeah. I'm like, can we get something different? Like, I'm I'm getting yeah. tired of this. I've got a they've been some really fun, really fun series. We've got epic the penalty kicks and you know the way you guys blew us out of knocked us out of the playoffs last year. Like. So there's some that have been really good games, but I'm like, I would like a little variety at this point. Okay, fair fair enough, man. <laughs> uh. <laughs> See, I would have gone with KC. I, I feel like that's your tactically and sort of just just where it's at. Like that would be a very frustrating matchup to get in the first round. I think that would was. tactically, yes. Purely as a fan and from just sitting on my couch for a second, like, can we please not get the Sounders? I, I, I can, <laughs> yeah, I can sure. understand that. Uh, <laughs> so looking at, like, uh, I know this, it's a faux pas. MLS Cup, 
who do you, who fits best coming out of the East? I know the the back half is a little bit um, misty in terms of it. Will the impact find a way in there? It, will the Columbus end up even with the games in hand? Will they figure out a way to hold on to that spot? Just lump them all together. Who fits best coming out of the East? Oh, oh, that one's tricky. MLS Cup, de- well, definitely not Toronto. There's no, ch- there's no one, no way stopping uh, Giovinco and Altidore at the moment. I like another t- go at Chicago. That may be a bad idea, but there's something about uh, their midfield with Dax McCarty and, uh, uh, gosh, the German <laughs> World Cup winner. Thank you, Schweinsteiger. It's like yeah, he. I, I like that matchup there with Acosta and Grezzo. Um, I think they could they could take them there, and I think you know, in the in the in MLS Cup, winning the midfield um, will give you your best shot. So out of those, I think that one would be would be our best shot. Though I could be completely wrong and suicidal on that part too. <laughs> that's not a that's not actually a bad pick. I, I do think that there's a good if you're a hoping or a betting man. I, especially when you get towards playoffs, I start trying to look at who, which team has those old legs and which ones are going to start kind of, you know, slowing down a little bit, which is why I think, you know, when you talk about like Houston, you talk about like Chicago, like those are probably teams that are, I would not necessarily say are, are built for a long haul heavy postseason. So I can, I can, I can concur with you there. Chicago would be a good, a good matchup, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think Dallas and Chicago would be a fun matchup tactically, and I think that it's one that would suit uh, Dallas uh, at this. Just looking at it from the onset at this stage. That being yeah. said, it doesn't yeah. matter because you're getting Toronto in Toronto. Yes. So. <laughs> Bring a jacket, brother. Bring a jacket. <laughs> and everyone just has to be. Uh, so fast forward past the playoffs, MLS Cup. That happened. What can we see from the off season? Uh, from Dallas because and, and you know most of the time this is kind of boring uh, and, and no offense Dallas is is going to find about three four <laughs> more you know homegrown players that you didn't hear about um, that are going to be amazing I guess Will Parchman won't be around to uh, hype, overhype them but uh, I'm sure some we can find someone to overhype them and then they're going to find two or three other South Americans Europeans um and that were low buys that no one's heard of, and now it's the end of the season, right? Like that is your off season in a nutshell. Yes, completely. But but the the there are rumors abounding on the internets, and we know not <laughs> to trust those ever. But I will ask you if you have heard of any truth to them, and that there could be some extra money being spent. And looking at the past two off seasons sequentially. The Hunts have spent a little bit more every offseason. And, in fact, you guys have moved up to the 15th overall rather than just sitting dead last. You guys have moved up in payroll. Obviously, you don't have a player making over a million dollars. Could that change this offseason with um, the U.S. Hall of Fame going there? I don't think that drastic will come unless, you know, someone like Javier Hernandez decides he's like, you know what, I'm going to take my talents down to Dallas. Um, 
you know, it's like I'm I'm done here at West Ham. I've conquered England. I'm gonna go to <laughs> I'm gonna conquer Texas now and conquer MLS. So I don't I don't see you know Dallas going north of you know, the million mark for for a player uh, anytime soon, uh, especially not with, with the model that they have going and it's kind of working. You know, we've had two back-to-back 60-point seasons. You know, Prey has put us in the playoffs three times in a row. We have homegrowns um, coming through the system, coming through the ranks. The system is working, and frankly, you know, Dallas has spent a boatload of money on the academy. Like, to run that, just the academy side with the coaches and the training, the games and the players and the facilities, like, for them, it's, it, you know, multi-million dollars a year. I think it's too soon to pull the plug and withdraw funding from this. Like, hey, because they to do something like that just takes time to get the return on your, on your investment. And so I think we're probably two, three years from seeing that category completely exploding um, in a way that they had hoped and envisioned. So, not not okay. yet. No, I, totally fair answer, and and that's the that's kind of the more rational answer, right? Is stay stick with the plan. Let's stick with the you know the the five-year or 10-year plan that Dallas very evidently has. I mean, it's not just, you know, a secret, you know, the secret Ali Curtis, you know, book that, uh, <laughs> that has, you know, from A to Z in it, but legitimately they're very transparent about like, this is what we, this is what we're about. And also what the heck is up with all you guys down in Texas and Javier Hernandez? Is, is it just a cultural thing? Because I, I've did, done my research, I've listened to a bunch of Dallas podcasts, and not just like, you know, sourcing over this year. I went back to last year and last off season, and there was references to Javier Hernandez. Like I couldn't believe what is going on. We are right next. You're you're. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty easy answer this one, Harrison. We're right next to Mexico, my friend. The Spanish pop, Mexican population down here is <laughs> blooming, and I I went to a my my first men's USA match was the USA versus Mexico in in Dallas. I had no idea when the world was going on. It was, it was like two thousand and three, two thousand two, two thousand three. I'm going to show this game. Like, okay, the stadium is ninety nine percent pro Mexico. I did not. I was very naive, did not expect anything. I was like, holy crap, this is insane. The halftime was in Spanish. Like, there's there no English at all. It's like, okay, I really just stumbled upon a Mexican home team, a home game here. But the fans here adore, adore him. Like, he is a god. So him as a player, I, I think he's a great striker. But in terms of like, well, you know, FC Dallas had problems filling the stadium. I would I put a lot of money in saying if as soon as Javier Hernandez comes, that stadium sold out for a whole year. Oh, that's overnight. Yeah. It's a completely different culture. You you really? I, I mean, the, the only reason why and, I say that is, yeah. and the only reason why I'm shocked is most of the guys I was listening to were white. Like, I, <laughs> and, and, and I get, I get that. I get where you know Dallas exists, you know, geography wise. <laughs> yeah, I get that. You didn't have to point that out. Okay. That, uh, Good. 
Yeah, uh, he I did his research. A, okay, I looked on a map, and no, I've I've had the distinct pleasure uh, of driving up to Toyota Park and and uh, on a Friday evening, and it was awful. Um, I missed the first uh, ten minutes, and it, I think it was a, a Dominic Baji goal uh, that I was very disappointed to miss. Um, mm. But I don't know if it changes. It doesn't change the doesn't change the traffic. It doesn't change how difficult it is to get out to Frisco, especially in the evenings. I, I, I want to agree with you, and I hope that's good. I love seeing sold out crowds um, where you go. It, it makes for a fun experience. I think you're I think you're you're, you're vastly underestimating how much and Chicharito is loved. Uh, yeah, like it, it would. Uh, they, they they'll drive to Frisco. Like they'll get to Frisco to see to see Chicharito play. They, they, like the people will come. Yes. Oh. And that would be fantastic for Dallas. I'd love to see them tap into that culture, um, and that that fan base that's there that loves soccer that's just not making the trip. Like that would be a, a wonderful thing for that organization. I was at that MLS uh, All Star game where they played Manchester United, and that was uh, Chicharito's uh, debut. That stadium erupted at his announcement of coming onto the field and then when he scored I think he chipped yep. like Romando from like the half line or something like something ridiculous and yeah that, that stadium went nuts I'm going okay you you guys really like this guy really really like this guy okay this is this is what we're in for so yeah I think he he carries oh think of it he's the uh, Chicharito is to to Texans, uh, Mexican Americans, as yes. David Beckham is to Japan. <laughs> that, is, that is not in any way exaggerated. That is a very fair analogy. Interesting. Yes. Well, uh, thank you, Jason, for coming on and doing a mid-season autopsy uh, upon your beloved uh, hoops and uh, FC Dallas. I hope that no one came away from this feeling like they had to hit the panic button because I don't feel like it's time to panic just yet. No, of course not. But you know. So thank you, Jason, for coming on and uh, <laughs> taking a little bit of time out of your out of your life, being a single dad tonight, and uh, putting your thanks. kids down to have this conversation. I certainly do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Jason. How if someone does not follow you and somehow uh, manages to track this podcast down, how might they find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at Jason H. Poon. You can find me on Twitter. I will annoy you with random junk throughout the week, and then come game time, I'm tweeting nonsense some more. So if you're bored and wanting some some, uh, random uh, tweets, I'm your guy. Yeah, I definitely get a lot of great Parks and Rec gifts. You can get Ian at the 16th Dock, and also on the weekends, of course, Ian, uh, you do the Total MLS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At Total MLS on the Twitters. Yes, the that's the best place to yell at me uh, in mass. So uh, if you do get mad, that's probably the best place to do that. Uh, it's just find me on the weekends, because I'll, I'll more likely respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Uh, I'm at Harrison underscore Crow, and uh, you can hit us on the website, americansocceranalysis.com. Come out. There's a lot of great articles. Kevin Minkus has a couple other things that he will be delivering shortly. We have a new app um, hosted on the website that's going to be excellent. Um, really excited for this to come out as soon as uh, uh, Drew and uh, Maddie get finished uh, 
integrating it with the actual current uh, CSS. So as soon as that happens, it'll we'll put it out and it'll be out as soon as you know we allow them out of their cages <laughs> to to finish. So I, this is the first time hearing about I'm it. I'm giddy about it. About I'm it. so excited. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I'll tell you guys after we end the show. So I, I just want to tease everyone with it. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Ian. Give it. Give us. Give us. I know you have another. You have another sign off. Oh, yeah, let's catchphrase? go. All right. This week I'm gonna go with God bless analysis. God bless America. <laughs> Could you put some fifes and like drums in under that when I do that in the post edit? Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> All right. Adios, guys. Thanks for listening. Shut your face, high school jerks. We're about to show you how this works. Are we cool? Laser beams. We're about to awesome all your dreams. And you'll say, what are you, some kind of computer? Say a cyborg bit from the future and I'm going down